everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Barely Bookish Podcast. Today we are going to be continuing on with the Murders in the Rue Morgue. I am doing this fun little intro, a little post-hand, because uh, last week the episode ended up being a bit too long, so it was cut in half. So today is going to be the rest of last week's episode, so I hope you guys enjoy this episode and the wonderful guests that we have on today. But without further ado, then let's get into the episode. Now we get into the heat of our story. Now that we've set up Dupont as a man of logic, we now find out that an old woman, an old woman, has been killed by unknown persons. The killer or killers has cut her head off and escaped into the night. So, cops, a cab, um, didn't do much. They're like, we looked around. This is very much like the. There's, I think it's a uh, John Mulaney joke where he's like, if they're not still there, he goes, tell them it's Richie and the crew or whatever. Yeah. 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 There's, uh, yeah, it's, there's, there's definitely shade thrown at the police force um, and their lack of imagination uh, often in all of this, which also parallels the relationship Sherlock has with the police force in his stories too it's kind of the same relationship most of us have with the police force so you know then there's the daughter up the chimney yeah daughter up a chimney um which they actually don't mention in the first part which no. is funny yeah it's I weird just, it's it's funny that he's like adding little tidbits the next time around so the first time it's Actually, just the uh, Poja says an old woman had been killed by unknown persons. We don't mm-hmm. even get the daughter. We get yeah. that the head got cut off and the killers escaped into the night. Um, but they're like the cops did nothing, but not Dupont, which I love because I love that basically he's like, well, I was bored, so I thought I would just solve a murder. What else yep. is I to do? So the next part we get that it was an old woman and her daughter living alone um, on the room morgue and they were killed in the middle of the night. So then we get a little newspaper clipping, essentially, uh, in which we're told that there was two voices and they found a door that was firmly closed and they're like, okay, all the doors are locked. Everything's like shut tight. To even like get into this room, they had to break the door down. And they're like, how could someone have escaped? How could this have happened? Um, And like when they come into the room, like all the neighbors, after hearing the screaming, come into this room. The room's a disaster. Everything's broken. All the tables and chairs. Um, There also was only one bed um, in the middle of the room, which they note. And then everything on the bed, though, 
thrown about. Just, it looks like basically a tornado swept through this room. So then we get the fireplace. So in front of the fireplace, uh, there is hair ripped straight out of someone's head and like bits of the scalp, like still on the end. Uh. Um, on the floor, there's still a bunch of money. Um, clothes, everything is just thrown around this room. So then above the fireplace, they found the dead body of the daughter. It turns out that she was essentially put into the fireplace, um, which is a terrifying sight to think about. Um, and then there's a lot of like, uh, it shows definitely that the daughter was strangled. So then they go through the whole house after finding the daughter, which again, I forget that like, there isn't really the care of like preserving the crime scene and because it doesn't matter. Yeah. So they're just like, let's just, you know, get everything down, picked up. And DuPont's like, no, don't do that, please. Um, so then they go outside because they're like, okay, we know two people live here. So like, where is the mom? Um, and they had looked all about the house. They find the uh, mom outside with her neck almost completely cut through. And then when they lift her off, it was a nearly headless Nick moment. Popped right off. Um, It's just like a really weird way to describe that. But, you know, we all got the visual. Um, Then the next part is where they describe some of the people who witnessed all of this. Um, So, like, they really paint a strange picture of this mom and daughter. And Grizzly. Grizzly too. Yeah. It's like it's a grizzly scene. Oh, I meant like the that yes, definitely a grizzly scene. But the people who are gonna like weigh in on their thoughts paint a very strange picture of this mom and daughter. Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like a terrifying scene to behold, first off, with this murder. Um, and then they're like, you know, that mom and daughter are like a very weird bunch. Like, let's talk rumors about them. And I'm like, maybe, like, respect the fact that, like, an atrocity just occurred. Yeah, totally. So the first person that's going to talk about them is Pauline DeBorg. DeBorg? DeBorg? Pauline, who is a washwoman. Um, she says they always paid her well. She doesn't know where their money comes from. And I'm like, okay, girl. <laughs> like, I guess... Thanks. I mean, as long as I got paid, as long as she got paid, yeah. it doesn't matter. I mean, just, especially for with women, especially with women who were not allowed to necessarily work, it's usually mm-hmm. assumed it's family money. And if they're if they were like sex workers, they would have. I'm sure that they would have said so in the text. So it's like this is like sort of old money, but it seems like they yeah. they have left kind of thing. Hmm. They're just like, don't tell the cops you don't know where their money comes from. What are you doing, Pauline? <laughs> so it's we her covering her tracks. Probably. Like, it wasn't me. 
wasn't me. They paid me well. I don't know. Yep. Go look elsewhere. They, who knows where their money comes from? Go investigate that. Mm-hmm. Um, Pierre is a shopkeeper, uh, and he said that they barely ever lived, like not ever lived. They barely ever left the house. Um, they come to him all the time. Everybody knows they've got money. So, like painting this picture of like these people loaded, these people. Someone robbed them for their money. Despite the fact that, like, none of the money was taken. But most of the neighbors say the exact same thing. Um, nobody really goes into this pe- these mom and daughter's house at all. They don't have visitors. It's just the two of them. I want to imagine in my own little headspace that they're just, like, crocheting or something cute. Like, they're just hanging, reading books vibing their homebodies they don't really have a whole lot of friends in town maybe they're trying cute little fun recipes they saw on pinterest i don't know courier pigeons are bringing them cute recipes could be a fun thought experiment um but then we get the banker who says that three days before um her death they took out a giant amount of money all in gold so the assumption kind of is maybe someone saw them and decided to rob them you know maybe it's the person that escorted them home from the bank who knows like at this point in like an investigation most of the time they're just like anything throw it against the wall we'll see what sticks so that's kind of what they're doing here um then a cop says that everybody heard two voices, one low and soft, one hard, high, and very strange. Everyone says it's a voice of a foreigner, but every single person from every country in the area says it's a different accent. So like the Frenchman's like, oh, it's English, but I don't speak English. And then the Englishman's like, oh, it's Spanish and I don't speak Spanish. And the Spanish one was like, oh, like, basically, everyone's saying, oh, it's, like, Italian. Maybe it's Italian. The Italian guy's, like, definitely probably French. I don't speak French. So everyone's going in a circle, basically. My favorite part of the story. Ger- German's in there, too. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's my favorite part of the story, where it's just, like, it's a it's a foreigner that mm-hmm. that is, is everyone's pointing in a different direction. Mm-hmm. But no That's one it. is able to pick any words out. Yeah. When I went to... Um, I was in Germany and I went to Paris. We got on the train and sat in the wrong seats. And this guy walked up to me and like started speaking in German. And I'm staring at him because I thought we were in the right seats. And he looks at me and he goes, English, French, no, English, Spanish, or German. I'm like, English? (laughs) And he goes, okay, um, you're in our seats. And I said, oh, I am so sorry. Is there any way, because my uncle bought the seats in German, I said, so any way you could point us to the right seats? Because I thought we were in the right ones. And he very kindly pointed me. But it's it's funny that, like, in Europe, a lot of people know at least two, maybe three languages. Yeah. So I just love that all these people, it's the one language they don't speak. They're like, must be that one. Right. You know, I'm well versed in these other two and it's not that. So 
well, in Poe's writing for an English speaking audience for, you know, he's writing mm-hmm. in an English, uh, you know, a, a, a United States uh, magazine that this was serialized in. And mm-hmm. so it's, it, it's like a reminder, like, Hey, by the way, Europe speaks a lot of languages. Maybe we should try mm-hmm. that. Cause Poe himself was, was, you know, he, he knew French um, and mm-hmm. he was well-educated and uh, but, and, and it, in some ways, his audiences would have been a little bit more educated. Um, but yeah, it's sort of definitely a, more, a much more European setting where that would have been much more commonplace. Mm-hmm. I always wish they like forced us to actually learn a second language. Mm-hmm. I feel Me like too. it's a skill that's important. Mm-hmm. And like now that, you know, I'm an adult, it's a lot harder to find the time. And I'm like, what was I doing in elementary school? Not anything important. Yeah. I could have learned Spanish. Should have been bilingual. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I love Duolingo, but, you know. Mm-hmm. It only goes so far. It's true. I can basically ask where the bathroom is in, like, French and Spanish, and that's go. gotten me decently far. <laughs> that's, that's helpful. Um, so we do find out that the windows were closed and firmly locked on the inside. They made a very stressed point of that. Um and that they were the whole group was able to get into the room about 4 or 5 minutes after the screaming so gives us a bit of a timeline um i not knowing much about poe was like we're going to find out it's a ghost <laughs> or like some sort of otherworldly something like <laughs> i didn't know if this was like investigative or if it was like going to be a Dean Winchester moment, like a Winchester's brother moment. I didn't know no. where we were going. Yeah. No, 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 no Winchester family member need apply in this case. Yeah. I was just waiting to see, you know, I was letting the tides take me as they may. Yeah. <laughs> keeping my options open. Yep. Yep. Fair. Mm-hmm. So, and then the article clipping ends and they're like please don't know anymore thank you (laughs) um and then dupont's like what are we doing guys why don't we just you know have a fun little day it's a mystery why don't we just you know break into the crime scene what else were you gonna do with your saturday evening i i just want to imagine that like they're having like drinks around a fire and then he like takes a little sip of his whiskey and he looks over at our narrator and goes, what if, hear me out, do you have plans tomorrow? No, you're free. Cause you know, we have money and there's nothing else to do. Let's just go just, solve a murder. Yeah. It's literally right around the corner. It's not like it's that far of a walk, you know, what if we, you know, the cops aren't doing anything. I think we should just get in there, look around a little bit, you know? Maybe solve a murder or two, and then we can go home. Like a fun little evening dinner date. I don't know. It's like when you put on a true crime show for you yeah. and your girlies as you're eating ice cream, and you're like, "I if I was there, I would have solved that. I knew it was him yeah. the whole time. That's what they're doing literally in the story. Mm-hmm. They're just, they're mm-hmm. literally going to the crime scene. Haven't we all been there where we're just, you know... They totally set it up for us as narrators to know exactly who it is. And we're like, I guessed it from the start. 
I knew it was a shady ex-boyfriend. I, I, when I first read this, I did not guess what was coming. I did not guess for this either. <laughs> um, it took me pretty much as he was guiding us to the answer for me to be like, oh yeah, I knew it. And I, and I'm like, no, I didn't know. I didn't know it. I, this, no. It's why, it's it's why like, I love this story. Cause I'm like, that's bananas, but yeah, it's well, pun intended, I guess. <laughs> Sorry, it was like a second before he said it. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> I put it together because he handheld me the whole time. Yeah, uh, yes. <laughs> so we find out that the knife with which the mother was killed was found in the room upstairs on the floor. So it was not brought out where the body was found, which means it would have been knife first, body brought out later. Which I just think is an interesting note. Mm-hmm. So ultimately they're like, we're going to the house. What else is there to do in Victorian Paris um, besides solving a murder? They go and DuPont is carefully looking at the neighboring houses, trying to be like, is it one of them? At least that's what I thought he was doing. Totally not what he was doing. But he gets like this cold, calculating look in his eye. Um, They check out all the house and then they go home. So next day, our narrator's like, hey, did you like notice anything? And he goes, nothing more than we both read in the newspaper. Which I love. Which I love a lot. Because he's like, I'll, I'll let you know when I have it all together. Yeah. Which he does not have it all together. Like, then, then at no point do I think that the narrator has any clue of what's actually happening. I think he's just, mm-hmm. he, it is very clear he's just along for the ride. Yeah. Yeah. It's like when you're, you, like, someone trying to do that whole thing where they're like, so, you have anything you want to tell me? And you're like, no, mm, I'm good. No. I think I'm cool. Why Why do you have something you want to know about? Like, specifically, could you give me some sort of context? <laughs> like, and then DuPont's like, hey, did you not notice the strength that was used? And our narrator's like, uh, yeah, 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 strange. You want to talk more about that? And then DuPont's like, okay, well, um, obviously you're not like picking up what I'm putting down. So uh, we're going to sit here right now and we're going to wait for the murderer to show up. And do, uh, the narrators, or the murderer show up. And the narrator's like, huh? Yeah, say what? Say what? Uh, and then he, DuPont's like, oh, but don't worry. I don't think he actually committed the murder. I just think he knows about it. Narrator's like, yeah? Okay. You're inviting him to our home? Okay. But, like, have your pistol ready just in case. Yeah, like, maybe should we, like, set some booby traps? Maybe, like, home alone it? I don't know. Uh, so our narrator obviously starts asking some questions, like, so who's the person? 
any details? How'd you figure it out? How'd you find them? Could you give me anything to work with? Um, and DuPont's like, I mean, he might not show up. I think he's going to, though. And they're just like, anything, anything for me to work with. Loot me in here, buddy. And then our, uh, DuPont then starts working us through his process. And he's like, well, here's what we know. We know that voices were not the voices of the people that live there. One. Uh, we know somebody else is in the room, too. Um, we know a person cannot kill themselves and take off their own head with a knife. So, three. Um, he goes, we know that someone who has already died or has already passed cannot jump out of a window post-death. So, and he's like, Heritage's like, okay. Um, really like setting us up for stress right now. Really like dragging it out here. So then he's like, okay, so remember how all of those people said that they heard a language that was not their own? And our narrator's like, yeah. <laughs> DuPont's like, well, you know, I was starting to think about it. And I'm like, you know... That, that seems a little strange. And then he's like, but I'll tell you, I, I'm not sure I know for sure. Um, but I think I might have figured it out. I'll tell you when, I, when I'm confirmed. And then it goes to the next, I'm assuming these are like weekly installments. That's just how I want to imagine them personally. Where it's like, then that's the end of part three. And I'm like, buddy, <laughs> come on, man. This was originally serialized, so yes, it was yeah. it was put out into segments. Yeah. So then we are on to the next part, um, and I'm going to skip over the recap. So, confirmed, and there's a line where Dupont's like, yeah, no, the killer's not ghost, definitely real, um, which I think that was for me specifically, I think that note was in there. I think they knew that in you know, 200 years, I would read it. Just, yeah. yeah just, just to be me. clear. Yeah. <laughs> so he's like, okay. So the murderers had to escape through a window. Obviously. Um, there's nothing else in there. The door is the only door in or out. There's two windows. Uh, so we had to prove that it was possible. So I looked at both of them. One could be, uh, one was firmly shut. There's a, like a pin in each like, you know, like those emergency sticks that you throw in the sliders? Yeah. So there was the emergency yeah. stick functional in one. However, the other window, it was broken. But when it was down, it looked like it was still one piece. So he's like, I figured out you can just open it and close it as you normally would. And then it looks like it's still firmly shut when it's actually closed. So knowing that, I knew that's how our murderer would get out. Probably how they also got in, because everything was locked up. She's like, once I knew that, you know, kind of raised all the knowledge of how the rest of this was going to go. So he's like, what I assumed happened is that the when the murderer first arrived, the window had to have been open. 
And he's like, it was a hot day. They're probably just trying to air out the house because I don't think centralized AC was even invented. But even if it was, Paris doesn't have it. So it's not a thing. It definitely wasn't. I don't know. It's not a thing. I don't, I don't know when AC was invented, to be honest. But not, definitely not in the 1800s. Not in the, at any point <laughs> in the 1800s. There was ways that you had to like, you houses were constructed with breezeways. Mm-hmm. And so the way the ways you would have two tiers of windows did create an airflow way to air condition a house. It just was not mm-hmm. there was not duct work and things involved. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was, you know, early refrigerators were just sort of boxes with ice blocks in them, you know, so it's and there was mm-hmm. some cooling that could be utilized with the way that heat rises. And so there was engineering that was. But, yeah, no, mm-hmm. modern air, air conditioning was not until the 20th century. Yeah, I I mean, I knew that, but I was also like, maybe. <laughs> because, okay, there's this weird thing where someone, like, laid out all the things in history that you think are, like, very far away from each other, mm-hmm. but were actually, like, right at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like, um, there's some really good examples, and I can't think of any of them right now. What was it? There was... I, think so, I think I saw online the other day of, like, linoleum mm-hmm. being, like, in, like, the 18... 18- Middle, middle of the 1800s really? or something like that like which just seems like it's such a modern thing yeah yeah there's just some great ones if i find the video again i'll have to reshare it but yeah it's so i just it made me doubt myself on my timeline of history a little bit because i'm like there's no way some of this is true then i looked it up and i'm like wait a minute so decided open window that's how the murderer came in that's how the murderer got out weirdly this is on the fourth floor so he's like okay whoever got in had to have almost superhuman strength and i'm like here it is here it is here's my supernatural and he goes all right but like i know this still doesn't answer who the murderer is and i'm like come on man (laughs) give it to me give it to me and he goes there's a lightning rod so that means whoever got up it had to be either like a sailor someone super strong you know, because to go four stories on a lightning rod is an insane feat. Because those things are smooth. Like, because I'm thinking, I might be wrong. Because I know there's like two options. You either get the ones that are like stepping, like with poles coming out of the pole, or there's like the smooth one. I got a sense that it was almost like there was a trestle that was like, supporting a rod so that there was some sort of support structure but not necessarily not Mm -hmm. a stairway yeah either way have to be in like peak condition to go up four stories and that that's not for the average man or average person anyways so said whoever did this obviously a special training um and then he starts talking about how the clothes were thrown all around the room. He looks, it looks like a tornado went off. However, nothing was taken. The jewelry was all there. All the clothes were still there. Um, and then I, I'm just going to quote this word for word to like line out. This is the point where I was like, I think I know what it is. Because he goes, strength more than hu- human, wildness less than human, a murder without reason, horror beyond human understanding and a voice which made no sound that men could understand. I'm like, I think I know what it is. And then he's like, all right, 
now we're going to take the marks on the daughter's neck. I, I, I sketched them out for you and put your hand on them. And I'm like, what? And he's like, see how they're huge? And I'm like, I'm so smart. And he goes, it's an orangutan. <laughs> so he very much guides you through the whole process. And I love it. There's a bit of hair too. He also mm-hmm. uncle he he also like shares <clears throat> Dupin shares with the narrator. Look at this coarse bit of hair that he says yes. he literally pried from the mother's fingers. Mm-hmm. So like that in and of itself is a like, very particular detail. And the mm-hmm. narrator's like, this isn't a hu- this isn't human. So mm-hmm. it's like it's it's one of those things where I feel like a lot of notes of modern police work are even in this um like looking of what was like under the fingernails kind of thing Mm -hmm. yeah i feel like this really it had to have inspired police work i think so i think so i could can you imagine being like a cop in this time you're like oh we're so used to just like chilling being like oh there's a murder anyways moving on and like then edgar Allan poe this like random american writer puts out this like very graphic detective novel and now people are like why aren't you doing that and you're like come on man my job was desk work i'd be like oh no there was a murder go back to my desk and now you want me to be a detective i mean there were there were people who wanted to employ you know what we would now consider modern practices but it was just Mm -hmm. like modern it took until teddy roosevelt to create modern police reform of any kind Mm-hmm. And that was in the 1890s. Yeah. I'm just imagining this, like, really put a magnifying glass on a lot of police precincts. And that only yeah. got that only got all the much more uh, aggressive in terms of shining a light in 1888 mm-hmm. with Jack the Ripper. So we're, you know, this came mm-hmm. out 40 years prior. Mm-hmm. So and to, and the Metropolitan Police in London didn't do any better of a job 40 years later with a real crime. And that was a hot mess. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. I... But yeah. So I wasn't expecting at the, going through all of this. I was like, I don't know what I was expecting, but I was not expecting an orangutan. Mm-hmm. I was not expecting it until they basically laid it out and handled it like, oh. the entire time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, cause, but... cause he sort of references like, and this field guide that we were just, <laughs> we were just, we happened to have just been reading about mm-hmm. these, you know, creatures convenient Mm -hmm. field guide uh name drop it was pretty great (laughs) i i love when that happens in books i know it's so cheesy but i'm obsessed when they're like remember earlier when we were foreshadowing this moment (laughs) and it's so funny because in this case it was like yeah but whatever you were foreshadowing i did not follow (laughs) because i also we don't have the contemporary like you know poe is in the story is name dropping some uh contemporary names and publications and things um Mm -hmm. you know and newspapers that were present and very popular at the time so he Mm -hmm. like poe has a lot of pop culture references that are totally in line with the 19th century that are like way Mm -hmm. over our heads so it's it he he the the modern reader might have been able at that at that time to pick up on Mm -hmm. things closer than we could but yeah no i was like really it's a it's a it's a it's an orangutan. Okay. Okay. It's an orangutan. I not where I saw how I don't think orangutans are actually orange, but every time I mentally imagine them, 
I always imagine them as like bright orange. And I think it's because of uh, Jungle Book. Uh, yeah, no, I think that that is, that is where the misconception goes back to. Yeah. 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 And I think they get conflated with chimpanzees a lot. Yeah. In terms of their like, yeah. But in this case, uh, it's an escaped orangutan that had been brought back by a sailor. Mm-hmm. So, and and then and then the poor guy who's like, the, so it's, I, the 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 sailor is described with with some empathy when he arrives to Dupin's house because he's been invited mm-hmm. by a. Uh, oh, like I love how he's like, oh, when we stopped in the newspaper office. Uh, I, I just put a little, um, like a little uh, classified ad out mm-hmm. to the owner of the orangutan. I found your, I found your creature. Yeah. Just, you know, just stopped in there, did that. Narrator's no, has no clue what's happening. <laughs> Comes back like, and is what? like, oh, by the way, when we stopped, oh, that's what that was about. You're pasting a classified ad to then get this guy to our house. Oh, okay. And that now it's a, so he confesses to everything, which I love yeah. uh, in terms of like this, how all of that is. Cause yeah, I mean, I'd be stressed. Mm-hmm. If um, if if the creature that I was entrusted with, that was in fact dangerous, mm-hmm. when riled, like in a in a situation it does not understand, um, mm-hmm. I I liked how there was still was some sort of understanding of this is a creature that doesn't actually really know any better. In this case, yeah. So yeah, yeah. I. I just, I liked how it all worked out. I liked that it was just like, well, you know, the sailor's like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that, but what else was I going to do? And I'm like, why did you kidnap an orangutan first off? Bad move. Bad yeah. plan. Yeah. Well, yeah. He says, he, he says him and a friend captured it uh, mm-hmm. as part of like the East India Company ventures when they were out on a voyage. And it's like, yeah, this is a ba- this is a bad it's a bad idea. This is why you shouldn't take kidnap animals from their natural habitats, you fool. Literally. Um and then the the whole the the detail that really kind of like made me super sad was was the whole stuff about the razor being that the ape was ma- was mirroring shaving. Um and so waving the the mm-hmm. waving the razor around and cutting up the the poor mother's face yeah. was actually sort of trying to mimic being a barber because he watched the animal had watched the the um his captor do it Mm -hmm. shave like i don't know that's that to me just was like i was really as someone who like i am vegetarian i do not eat animals Mm -hmm. i i i have a a real love of animals and so that for me was the part of this that was just i got really kind of upset just heartbroken for because all of this could have been avoided if he did just you know let the animal live in his natural habitat anyway Literally. I feel like the moral of the story is don't kidnap animals. Exactly. Don't don't contribute to the exotic pet trade, please. Yeah. Moral it's of the story. It's just so simple to not do that. It's right. Actually. Yeah, and your lives would have been a lot easier because now there is literally an orangutan on the loose somewhere in Paris. Yeah. It's like every so often when not in the same vein, but when you see on the news that like a zoo animal is just like roaming the streets and you're like, why? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Because I'm a big proponent of releasing animals back to the wild if if you can. If you can. If it's possible. Yeah, if it's possible, absolutely. Yeah. 
That's why I don't support SeaWorld, but I do support Bush Gardens because all of their animals can't go back. Yep. Or they're yep. like there temporarily. Well, and yeah, no, animal ambassadors at rescue centers are, are incredible. We have, we have to have a relationship with animals. That's how you learn to care about them. And education is key. Um, you know, but, and, and, and especially like, um, especially for the most misunderstood animals, I support both Luby Bat Conservancy in Florida. And I also mm-hmm. support, um, the Bat, um, Bat, I think it's Bat World or it's a Bat Conservancy, um, that's in Texas. Um, that rescues all kinds of different bats and just make sure that they're housed. And if they can release them, they will. Um, but in the case of Luby, um, they are, they're ma- committed to making sure genetic, genetic materials of certain mm-hmm. flying foxes specifically are still kept in like breeding populations so that there can be, um, so that they're not going to go extinct, um, which is just incredible. But they also do a lot of ambassador work. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely. Like, we have to have some kind of relationship. But yeah, if they're just captive that's yeah. not there's no. yeah there's there's plenty of animals that can't be released into the wild or they would die so like those are the ones that need to be um used as yeah. as instructors um and 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 then let let populations go back yeah yeah or i get it if it's like an endangered species yeah and yeah and, you, and you're trying option. to keep the yeah absolutely yeah. And yeah. you're trying to keep the last of them alive and trying to, you know, yeah, there's, there's certainly cases with that of, with like the, there's a recently a Sumatran tiger, um, just mm-hmm. had some cubs and now it's critically endangered. So, but that was through a zoo program. Um, so yeah, but anyway, moral of the story, don't contribute don't to the exotic pet trade. Yes. Um, when the sailor gets there though, so they do, DuPont does deduct sailor that got this had a gun in his pocket. I'm like, what a bold move. What a good choice. Totally. Yeah. And he immediately spills his guts, which is great. Um, and yeah, it's kind of sad. It's just really sad. Um, and then Dupont's like, okay, so hey, hey, chief of police, it was an orangutan. And the chief of police, not happy. <laughs> not no. happy one bit. No, not happy he's been upstaged. Mm-mm. But that is this wonderful, wonderful The Murders in Rue Morgue. All right. So thank you so much for joining me. Um, I do want to take a second because uh, you have a wonderful book out. Um, it's The Haunted History of Invisible Women. Um, it's beautiful and it will be talking a lot about our next story that we're going to talk about with our main man, Poe. Um, do you want to tell all the listeners about it a little bit? So yeah, Haunted History of Invisible Women, True Stories of America's Ghosts is uh, real history, real ghosts, real women. Um, what we do is we break the book down into different stereotypes or tropes that uh, women have been sort of placed into or fallen into. And we examine that through the lens of ghost stories and the actual lives that these women lived. And very often, in some cases, ghost stories that were told about them before they even passed away. Um, So we have a range of famous and not famous uh, uh, women, and we um, just kind of explore uh, what that uh, what telling ghost stories about them has meant and and how we can kind of unpack that. Um, so it's it's really the intersection of women's history and ghost stories um, and written by Andrea Janes and myself. 
and we are ghost tour guides in New York. And I have worked in many different haunted properties throughout this great nation. And there's, you know, sort of a through line of an interest in the paranormal that has followed me and through all of my work. So I, in my fiction, I write about ghosts, but in nonfiction, it's been really about trying to get to the truth of it. So mm-hmm. separating fiction from uh, nonfiction uh, and trying to, to do right by these women that very often were not done right by in life. Uh, and mm-hmm. so, um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's been a successful book. We've, uh, our, our publisher Kensington has been very pleased and we hope you'll check it out and, uh, and tell friends because word of mouth is really important on, on books like these. This is the first book of its kind to really look at women's history and ghost stories in this type of combination before. Um, rather, you know, there have been co- collections of ghost stories written by women in a fictional capacity, but this sort of feminist compilation of women's stories in the ghost lore angle uh, is, is, is we, we kind of were able to break a little bit of new ground on this. And it's got an afterward by um, incredible horror writer, Linda D. Addison. Um, and uh, she's amazing. So we're really glad she was a part of our team too. So yeah, thanks. And uh, anything about the book, you, if you look up A Haunted History of Invisible Women, if you just Google that phrase, then all of the bookstores will come up. So it's available in mm-hmm. au- audiobook, uh, ebook, paperback, anywhere books are sold. Plus the cover's beautiful. It is so, beautiful. Yeah, it's taken I'm from obsessed. a 19th century photograph that was manipulated. It was one of the first oh. photo manipulations. So it was the the ghost oh. of, uh, of of Subaru, uh, Jeanette Subaru, as um, I believe was the, mm-hmm. uh, was the actual title of this particular um, woman that is disappearing into the wall. So this was early like spectral photography, but this was just obviously a trick of different um, exposures, but people didn't necessarily know that. So people would pass these things off as actual spectral photography, Um, but people just didn't know how uh, photographs worked. That's a whole nother story for another time, but there was whole trials about uh, spectral photography and it's reality or it's uh, uh, in this case, you know, pulling the wool over people's eyes, but um, the actual photographer is not known. So it's an anonymous photograph that's really cool i love that that's also just a tidbit that's thrown in like that's a another layer to this you know it really is it's an incredible uh, it's one of those things where you're like why manipulate something when this actual 19th century thing exists mm-hmm. like just don't know like there's nothing better than that um our yeah. editor found that image and and we were like well we just well there's our cover just thank you yeah. art department for putting pretty text around it I am so excited to talk about our uh, next short story, The Mystery of Marie Roger. I will get through that mouthful momentarily. Um, And it's going to be a lot of fun. So make sure to tune in next week and we will catch you all in the next chapter. Bye. Thanks. Thanks.